at the cross of Calvary. Let's go to James chapter 3 tonight. James uh, chapter number 3. Thank you for being back here again tonight. And boy, I had a good kickoff last night. And the folks from Waynesboro, if I'm too loud, you can crank me down. And uh, folks from Waynesboro came down and was with us. And they filled up this front section over here. And so we just had a good kickoff crowd last night. Uh, but I appreciate you being here this night, uh, tonight on Tuesday. And we've got two more nights to go. So if you're able to, we invite you to come back and be with us tomorrow night and Thursday night. Of course, if you have a church, we expect you to be in your home church tomorrow night. Uh, but you can come back on Thursday night and help us to finish it out strong. Uh, but I appreciate your faithfulness to be here. I know many of you uh, worked all day long. And so sometimes these extended meetings that go for several consecutive nights, uh, put, you got to put forth a little bit of effort to come. And so I know that you're tired, especially those of you that have got kids. It uh, takes a little bit more effort to come, uh, but we don't do this every week of the year, do we? Just about once or twice a year, we come together for just a couple of consecutive nights of uh, preaching and singing as we turn our eyes upon the Lord and seek Him for revival. We need revival, don't we? Just every once in a while, uh, the old songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and so every once in a while, we need to come together and just hit the reset button, and we need someone to take the Bible and challenge us and, and help us to examine our relationship with 
of the Lord. And so this is not Wednesday night Bible study. This is a revival service. Amen. And sometimes people come to revival and they hear confrontational preaching and it's almost like they're like offended, almost like what, what's going on here? Uh, no, this is revival. We should expect to hear confrontational Bible preaching. And somebody said uh, the, the pastor is to comfort the afflicted. Uh, the evangelist is to afflict the comfortable. Amen. And I don't know about all that, but uh, we ought to be challenged for the Word of God in a revival meeting. And we ought to get our toes stepped on and feel convicted. And if, I don't, if I've come to a revival service and I walk out and I don't feel like I was convicted or challenged or cur- if I don't feel something, I don't feel like I got my money's worth. Amen. And so I want to be challenged by the Word of God. And uh, whether it's my sin, whether it's my relationship with Him, uh, I want the Word of God to have an effect on me in a revival service like this. So I hope that you came with the right expectation tonight. And we had a good start last night, didn't we? And my mind said, usually on Sunday, I'd like to kind of warm up and prime the pump a little bit. But this week, coming in on Monday and going through Thursday, we only got four services together. And so I thought, well, might as well come out of the gate swinging. And so last night, we dealt about revival in the home. And we talked about how Lo- uh, Lois and Eunice made an impact on their son and their grandson, Timothy. And we talked about influencing the next generation. And if you and I are going to have a spiritual influence on our kids and grandkids, nieces, nephews, young people in this church, the number one, our relationship with God must be real. And we said nothing is more uh, repelling than a faith that is phony, but nothing is more attractive than a faith that is real. And then we talked about making the Word of God a priority. And then number two, we said uh, if we're going to influence the next generation, we cannot hold them back when it comes to serving God. So if you miss that, uh, the good thing is your church has live stream. Uh, so you can go back and watch that service and be challenged. And I always feel, you say, how do you know what, what message is to preach? And I just figure if, a, if a, a truth or a passage has been challenged to me and I needed to hear it and it's been a help to me, it'll probably be a help to other people. Amen. And so I preach messages that I feel like I need in my own life and uh, other people probably need in their lives. So we'll be in the book of James tonight. Uh, the book of James. And if I had to put a subtitle tonight on the book of James, I would say it this way, exhibiting spiritual maturity during turbulent times. Exhibiting spiritual maturity uh, during turbulent times. And how many would agree tonight, our world is in some turbulent times. And so if there's ever a time for God's people to be spiritually mature, it is in these days. And if you're familiar with the book of James, then you know that James is writing a, a letter. We call it a letter. It's more of a lecture. And there's not a a lot of warmth is very Jewish in nature. When Paul would write letters to individuals and churches, he would always start off with grace and peace, and, and grace and peace, and how's your mama now? And he would always start off with that flowery greeting, uh, but you will not find that in the book of James. Uh, James gets right to the point, and he goes section by section and zeroes in on specific areas of their life and our lives that we need to be a spiritually mature in. You say, preacher, what is spiritual maturity? It's because Coming more and more like Jesus. Amen. That's a pretty good definition there. And when you got saved, initially you were in spiritual diapers, but God does not want you to live in diapers for the rest of your life. He wants you and me to grow up. And you ought to go from being in diapers to being just a baby and an infant uh, to being a toddler and stumbling around and learning how to walk and uh, becoming a, a child and then an adolescent and then a preteen and then a teenager to a young adult to a full-blown, full grown, mature adult. Amen? And spiritually, that ought to be the, uh, the progression in our Christian life. And uh, God wants us to evermore become more and more like 
Jesus. And you say, well, how do you become like Jesus? You spend time with Jesus. And A.W. Tozer said, nearness is likeness. And the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I become like Jesus. I begin to talk like him. I begin to act like him. I begin to behave like him. I begin to react like him. I begin to treat other people like him. Come on now. Spiritual maturity is becoming more and more like Jesus. So James is going section by section. And, but when he comes to the chapter number 3 tonight, he zeroes in on a very uh, important aspect of all of our lives that we especially need to be spiritually mature in. Uh, t- uh, last year I went to the dentist, uh, my wife made me, amen, and so I went to the dentist and it was just a regular a routine cleaning and checkup, and uh, so the lady comes in and cleans my teeth, and then the real dentist comes in at the end, and he looks things over, and he says, uh, do, do you have any, any questions or concerns? I said, well, actually I do. I said, there's an area on my tongue I, I've been kind of concerned about, and I had been, and I googled that. Let me tell you something. If you ever think you have anything wrong with you, do not Google it. Amen? And you might as well start planning your funeral. So I had done that. And, of course, that's a concern for anybody. But when you speak for a living or try to speak for a living, uh, there's an extra measure of concern there for me. And so I was a little worried about that. And so uh, I asked him about that. He said, well, uh, would you like to do a cancer screen? And I said, well, you know, we're here. We might as well. And so he went off and got the cancer gun and brought it back. And he scanned my tongue. And he said, man, I I don't see anything irregular. I don't see anything abnormal. Your tongue looks good to me. And so you can imagine uh, the the sense of relief that I felt uh, when he gave me the good news about my tongue on that day. But tonight, James is going to spiritually examine your tongue. And I'm going to let you know up front, the news is not good. Tonight, I want to preach on this subject, your tongue needs Jesus. I said, your tongue needs Jesus. Father, would you help us tonight as we walk through James chapter 3? And Lord, this is a very, very practical book. In fact, it's known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so, Lord, as we come here tonight, not to just uh, fellowship and not just because we didn't have anything else better to do, but, Lord, we came here tonight for the sole purpose of seeking you that we might uh, be revived and return back to a right relationship with you and with other people. And so, Lord, we are seeking to be spiritually mature believers. We would have become more and more like you in our Christian life. And so, Lord, would you help us to focus tonight and be ready not to just hear the word, but to do the word. And, uh, Lord, we need revival. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's walk to the first couple of verses together, and then we'll jump into our passage tonight. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, my brethren. Once again, he's writing to save people. And in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to the 12 tribes which were scattered abroad. And so these were Jewish people who had come to Jesus, gotten saved, and now that they were converted and uh, striving to follow Jesus, they were being persecuted. And so these were folks that were going through a hard time, a difficult time, a turbulent time, and that were just struggling. And so he writes this letter to them, and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters. Well, that word masters means teachers. And apparently there were some, maybe some young, overly zealous believers in this Jewish community, or this, this newly saved community, that were a little overly zealous 
supposed to become preachers and teachers in that day. And certainly there's nothing wrong with being a preacher or a teacher, but maybe in that, in that culture there was a little bit more notoriety that went along with that role or position. And so you can see how maybe a young uh, believer would desire uh, to have that position or role, but he's not discouraging them from becoming uh, preachers and teachers and spiritual leaders. He's discouraging the wrong motive. He's saying, listen, it's a privilege to be a preacher and a teacher and a spiritual leader, but with the privilege also comes the great responsibility and one day an even greater accountability. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Well, preachers and teachers obviously use their words and they communicate, and so that opens up the door of the context for the rest of the chapter. And he goes on to say in verse 2, for in many things things we offend all. That is a synonymous phrase with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In essence he's saying we all sin, we all blow it, we all fail. Can I get a witness right there? We all sin in many different ways. And so he says for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, if any man does not sin with his words or his speech or with his tongue, the same is a perfect man. The word perfect in the New Testament carries the idea of being whole, of being complete. You and I would understand it to mean to be spiritually mature. And so in essence, here's what he's saying. He's saying one of the marks of a spiritually mature believer is the ability to control their tongues. In other words, spiritually mature people control their tongues. Spiritually immature people do not control their tongues. Let me ask you a question tonight. Which one of those two categories do you fall into? Can I be transparent tonight? Would they be, can we keep it real here tonight? Is that okay? Far too often, I find myself falling into a category I don't want to be in. One of the marks of a spiritually mature believer is the ability to control their tongues. And boy, how many, how many uh, times, and surely not in this church, uh, but how many times in churches like ours, uh, folks will walk into the back doors, and as if it's our job, we begin to size them up, and we have a little checklist in our mind, and we think, well, if they do this and this and this, they must be spiritual. But if they don't do this and don't do that, then they must not be spiritual. But James says, no, you go ahead and Put your little checklist away. You want to know who's spiritual in the church and who's not spiritual in the church? Then just listen to their conversation because your conversations and your words will reveal your spiritual condition. In fact, one of my, my mentors, Tom Farrell, said it this way. He said, every time you open your mouth, your heart is on parade. Don't raise your hand to this. And Let me ask it this way. How many has ever heard somebody else say, why well, just speak my mind? And usually when they say it, they kind of shake their head like that for a while. I just shake, I, I, I just speak my mind. Whatever, if, if I think it, I just say it. I just speak my mind. Don't admit to that. And don't be proud of that. Don't boast about that. Because the Bible says that a fool uttereth all his mind. In other words, fools have no filter. I said fools have no filter. One of the marks of a spiritually mature believer is the ability to control their 
tongues. And he goes on to say the last phrase of verse number two, and able also to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you can keep your mouth in check, you can keep the rest of your body in check because the mouth is one of the hardest parts of your life to control. Boy, that's why your tongue, and that's why my tongue desperately needs Jesus. And from here on out in the rest of the chapter, James gives us three reasons from the text tonight why your tongue and why my, why my tongue needs Jesus. Notice number one tonight from the text. First of all, your tongue needs Jesus because it is powerful. Your tongue needs Jesus because it is powerful. Now, in verse number five, James is going to make a big point about the tongue. But before he does that, he's going to set it up by giving us two illustrations. Now, that's kind of backwards. Today, in preaching and teaching, we'll make the point and then give the illustration uh, to shed light on the point or to give clarity. But James does it backwards. He's going to give two illustrations and then drive home the point. And the two illustrations that he uses deal with two objects that are greatly disproportionate to their size. In other words, these are two objects that are very small, yet very powerful. Notice the first one in verse number three. The Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Isn't that amazing? You could put about a th two, three-inch piece of metal in a horse's mouth, strap some reins onto it, put a 75-pound kid on the back of that 1,500-pound animal, and if that kid knows what he or she is doing, that small child can control that giant, that, that large animal. And that bit is small, but it is powerful. Notice verse number three. We go from land to sea. We go from the equine world to the nautical world. And he says in verse four, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they turn about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor or the captain listeth or desires. Here's the ship in the midst of a storm-tossed sea. I mean, the waves are blowing, and uh, the, the wind is blowing, and, and the waves are crashing, and yet because of the rudder that's attached to the back of that ship, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the captain uh, can navigate that ship wherever he desires it to go. That rudder is small, but it is powerful. And so he set up the point, but now here in verse number 5, he's going to drive home the point. Verse number 5 says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. In other words, just as the bit is small yet powerful, and even as the, a bit, uh, the rudder is small yet powerful, even so that, that four-ounce piece of flesh in between your upper and lower jaw is a small part of your body, yet it can have a great impact not just on your life but on the lives of those around you. You. In other words, he's saying never underestimate the impact your tongue can have on somebody else's life. Boy, these tongues are small, but they are powerful. Uh, some time ago, I read a story about a, 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 a daddy who took his little girl out for breakfast one morning. And they ordered pancakes and finally got to the table. And before they began eating, he looked at his daughter across the table and said, Honey, I want you to know the reason that I brought you here today is because me and your mama's real proud of you. You've had a good spirit about you, and you've obeyed well, and we just know that God's got great plans in store for you, and God's going to use your life in a wonderful way. Well, he went to take his fork, and he went to take that first bite, when all of a sudden a little hand reached across the table, and a voice followed that hand and said, Longer, Daddy longer. 
Well, that daddy put his fork down. He looked across the table. And again, he said, well, me and, me and your mom is real proud of you. We think the world of you. And uh, you bring us joy. And, and we know that God's going to use your life in a great, incredible way. And he went to pick the fork up again. And all of a sudden, uh, that voice came across the table again. Longer, daddy. Longer. Longer, daddy. Longer. And that daddy did not get very much to eat that morning. Uh, but that girl sure got what she needed. Amen. Can I say that our tongues can be used in a powerful way for good? The Bible says that uh, the words fitly spoken are like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. The Bible says that life and death, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And from, from the front cover to the back cover, all throughout the Bible, the Bible encourages us to use our tongues in a good healthy, positive way. Listen, our tongues can be used to speak healing into people, a comfort into people, a encouragement into people, a hope into people. Come on now. Our tongues can be used, and they ought to be used in that way. And all throughout the Bible, the Bible commands us and encourages us to use our tongues in that way. But excuse me tonight, I do not believe that is the spirit nor the context of James chapter 3. You say, why is that? Because of the third illustration that he gives. He's not talking about the positive power of the tongue. He's talking about the negative, destructive power of the tongue. You say, where do you see that? Notice the last phrase of verse number 5. He says, behold how great a matter. That word matter literally means forest fire in the Greek. Behold how great a matter or a forest fire a little fire kindleth. Well, you know this. Great forest fires are started with little fires. Excuse me, it's a cigarette butt that somebody just carelessly discarded. It's a campfire that someone enjoyed and then walked away from and didn't put all the way out. And all of a sudden, a little fire turns into a mass devastation. And God is saying, James is saying, your tongue can have the same effect on other people's lives as well. I was in the eighth grade. I was sitting in a Sunday school classroom when our Sunday school teacher walked in, Glenn Richardson. And Glenn Richardson pro probably didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, but he loved Jesus and he loved us, and that was enough at the time. And I remember him making a statement. He said this, and I'm 34 tonight. I can still remember it like he said it last night. He said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's one of the biggest lies that has ever been told. And the fact of the matter is tonight, there are people in this room, words were spoken to you 20, 30 years ago. It may have been from a family member. It may have been from a teacher. It may have been from a friend. It may have been from, a, from somebody at a, a church. It may be a coach. But words were spoken to you, whether they were intentional words, whether they were just careless words, but words were spoken to you, and they hurt you, and they wounded you. And two, three decades later, as I'm bringing it up, those words begin to flood your heart again and your mind again and wound you and cause you pain still all these years later. Isn't it amazing that words can fly out of our mouths in a matter of seconds and go on to cause hurt and pain in someone's heart and mind for the rest of their lives. Let me tell you something. Your tongue is small, yet it is powerful. I can remember getting a verbal argument with my dad, and I said a few things to him that caused him to get up and storm out of the room. And as I sat there in silence for the next few moments, finally my mom looked across the room and said, You know, your dad has feelings too. And I remember as that realization began to sink down upon me. 
Can I say to the young people here tonight, your mom and daddy have feelings too. And the cutting words and the disrespectful words and the sarcastic words and the demeaning words that you speak to your mom and dad, it hurts their hearts. Your moms and dads have feelings too. And let me say to the parents and the grandparents in this room, the words that we speak to our young people, they're going to go on to remember those words for the rest of their lives as well. Boy, our tongues need Jesus. Your tongue is small, but it is powerful. Listen to me. Every person here bears, bears wounds from hurtful, unkind words that have spoken to us. Would you agree with that? Everybody here. Every person here has been made fun of. Every person here has been criticized. Every person here has been wounded by somebody else's words. And listen to me, I'm sorry for that. Some of you carry wounds and baggage that you should not have to carry, but you do. But can I say tonight, we are not responsible for what people say to us, but we are responsible for what we say to other people and about other people. And may those wounds that we carry by the words that were caused by us from somebody else, may that be a painful reminder that our words will have effect on other people as well. Your tongue is powerful. But notice the second reason tonight. The second reason your tongue needs Jesus and my tongue needs Jesus is not only because it is powerful, but number two, your tongue needs Jesus because it is dangerous. It is dangerous. Notice he goes on to say here in verse number 5, and the tongue is, now notice the wording changes. In verses 3, 4, and 5, he has compared the tongue to something else. He said the tongue is like a bit, the tongue is like a rudder, the tongue is like a little fire. But in verse number 6, he drops the comparative language, and no longer is he comparing the tongue to something else. Now he tells us what the tongue is. And he says in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and settles on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell without getting into the nitty gritty phrase by phrase breakdown and interpretation here's the overall takeaway of verse number 6 he's saying your tongue has the ability to set every area of your life up in flames tonight your tongue can set your marriage on fire it can set a friendship on fire it can set a relationship on fire it can set a marriage on fire it can set your reputation on fire it can set a career on fire it can set a church on fire and the tongue is a fire in other words he's saying your mouth is a flamethrower and there's a whole lot of them in this room tonight. Well, years ago, and it was the year of 1990, there was a fire started at the White Dry Baptist Church overnight, and it took place in the kitchen and burned, burned the building down. White Dry Baptist Church, the church that I now have the privilege of pastoring. And they went on to rebuild, remodel. And if you will walk into the front doors of our church today, you would have no idea that had ever taken place if you did not have that background knowledge because we rebuilt and, and there's a beautiful church there today. Can I say there's many churches that have gone through fires and they have rebuilt and have gone on. Amen? But there are also many churches that have gone through fires that were started by people's tongues and they never recovered from. Now I want to be very, very clear on what I'm saying tonight. I'm not saying that we should not speak up when something's wrong. Are you hearing me? 
And if something's wrong, then in, in heaven's name, somebody speak up. Everybody with me? I'm not talking about not speaking up when there's something wrong. What I'm talking about tonight is going around and intentionally using our tongues to hurt other people. Can we all agree collectively tonight on a Tuesday night that that is wrong? That's what James is talking about. How many remembers just a couple of years ago the great Smoky Mountain forest fires? Remember that? At the end, I believe it was at the end of 2016, old Dolly Parton got involved in that and raised money. Remember all that? And uh, they said it cost $2 billion in damage. Uh, it burned 17,900 acres. Uh, 2,460 buildings were destroyed. Uh, 14 people lost their lives. And when the investigation was concluded, they believe it all went back to two teenagers who one day were walking down a trail, a lighting matches thrown on the ground, a lighting matches thrown on the ground, and all of a sudden the little fire turned into an absolute uh, inferno and caused mass devastation. Listen to me. All it takes is just a little text message. All it takes is just a little Facebook post. All it takes is a little gossip, a little criticism, a little slander, a little lie. And all of a sudden, You've caused a whole lot of destruction because of just a few words that came out of your mouth or you typed out with your fingers or you posted on... Come on now. Your tongue is dangerous. Well, it's like an uncontrolled fire, but notice it goes on to say this. It is also like an untamed beast. The Bible says in verse 7, it's like an untamed beast. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. What's he saying? He's saying we can tame some critters. Do you need a translator for that here in South Virginia? I said, we can tame some critters. Amen? I mean, I, uh, you, you go to uh, zoos or whatever it is the case, and back in the old days, the circuses, how many of that members that? And man, they, they bring these animals out, and they do all kinds of tricks. How many of you back in the 90s, Homeward Bound? Remember that old movie? And uh, for two hours, two dogs and a cat went everywhere they were supposed to go. They did everything they were supposed to do. They even talked for crying out loud. It was the 90s, amen? And uh, in fact, there's not hardly a show or a movie today that you turn on and some, there's not an animal in it doing something. Well, we can tame some critters. But God says there's one beast that we can't seem to tame. Notice he goes on to say this in verse number 8. But the tongue can no man tame. Isn't it amazing? We can take an elephant that weighs tons and tons and tons and teach him to do all kinds of tricks and tame him and train him. But somehow that four ounces of flesh between your upper and lower jaw, you can't seem to control. But there's hope here. Read it again in verse 8. The Bible did not say that no one can tame it. It said that no man could tame it. But the tongue can no... I don't know why my voice just cracked. But the tongue can no man tame. In other words, the tongue is humanly untamable. But aren't you thankful tonight what we can't do, God can do. And uh, you say, well, preacher, I mean, I'll never have a perfect tongue this side of heaven. Well, I understand that. But that should not cause us to give up the fight in sanctification. If we're going to be the kind of Christians that God wants us to be, 
then the longer I'm saved and the more time I walk with Jesus and the more I become like Him, then there ought to, that ought to show up in my speech. It ought to show up in the way that I talk to people, the things that I say to people. The words that come out of my mouth ought to show year by year that I'm becoming more and more sanctified like the Lord. I may not have a perfect tongue on this side of heaven, but boy, there ought to be evidence of sanctification going on. There ought to be evidence that I'm spiritually maturing and growing spiritually. But the tongue can no man tame. You say, preacher, th 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 this is bad. It gets worse. Notice he goes on to say, in verse ever, number 8, it is an unruly evil. You say, what does that word unruly mean? It means like a toddler. And uh, those of us that have young ones at home, uh, they are unruly, aren't they? I mean, they're just, that means, it literally means to be restless. And boy, some of us have kids you can't turn your back on, you can't walk out of the room on, you can't take your eyes off of, because the second they do, they're going to get into something, aren't they? And uh, you got kids and grandkids like that, and they're just restless, all just constantly getting into something. And the Bible says your tongue is the same way. And when it comes to our tongues, we can't put our guard down, we can't turn our back on, we can't take our eyes off of it, because the second we do, it's going to cut someone, it's going to hurt someone, it's going to slash someone, it's going to get into some kind of trouble. It is an unruly, a restless evil, constantly looking to get in some kind of trouble. You say, my soul, this is bad. It gets even worse. Notice the last phrase of verse number 8, full of deadly poison. You got poison at your house. Now, not just lying on the coffee table, I hope, but locked up in the shed in the backyard, you got chemicals for your yard. Uh, underneath the cabinets, you got cleaning supplies. I'm talking about on the back of the bottle, there's a skull and crossbones. It's poison. And because it's poison, we keep it locked up so the kids don't get it, the grandkids don't get it, the dog doesn't get it, the cat, well, that wouldn't be too bad. I mean, but we keep that, just kidding, and they're with my love offering. And so we keep those locked up so that the kids and the things and people we care about don't get into them. We're careful with it. But listen to me, the Bible says, your tongue is full of deadly poison. Can we get real tonight? You stick around a church like this long enough, and eventually you're going to have a personality conflict with somebody. Someone's going to step in your toes. You're going to have a run-in with somebody. Some, come on now. Isn't that the reality? I mean, the same group of people are coming Sunday morning, three times a week normally, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We're going to serve together. We're involved together. Eventually, somebody's going to have a personality conflict with somebody else. And when that happens, you and I have two responses. we can, we got two options. We can either handle it like a mature Christian adult or not. And here's what oftentimes happens in churches. All of a sudden, you have a clash with someone. You get sideways with someone. And for whatever reason, we start going around the church and start recruiting people to our side. And we start cornering people, and we begin to say stuff like this. You ever notice this about her? You ever picked up on this about him? And all of a sudden, you go around and you start putting seed thoughts in people's minds that wasn't there until you put it there. And all of a sudden, slowly, division begins to take place. Boy, our tongues need Jesus. Number one, because they are powerful. 
Number two, because they are dangerous. Then number three, because they are inconsistent. They are inconsistent. Notice he goes on to say in verse number, verse number nine, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth, out of the same mouth, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Isn't it amazing? We can come to a great revival service like this tonight, and we can sing songs, and hear wonderful songs sang, and hear the Bible preach, and say amen, and Good to see you, brother. Hey, good to see you, sister. And, and just have a wonderful revival service in God's house and worshiping and praising the Lord. And yet, after the last amen is said, we make our way out the back door and get into our cars. And before we even get out of the parking lot, we're already bickering and fussing and fighting. Did you hear what he said? Did you see what she was wearing? And it's just nasty, nasty, nasty before we even get out of the church parking lot. Out of the same mouth that we just praised God with, that we just worshipped Him with, that we just uh, complimented and, 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 and were, were kind to one another with, out of the same mouth. In other words, out of one side of our mouth, we're blessing God, and out of the other side of our mouth, we're blasting men. Do you know why you have an inconsistent tongue? Because you have an inconsistent heart. See, you don't have a tongue problem, you have a heart problem. I don't have a, heart, a tongue problem. I have a heart problem. Somebody said a forked tongue is connected to a forked heart. You say, huh. Well, I know how to handle that. I, I'm just never going to speak again. Well, for some of you, that may be a, a positive step. And, uh, boy, most of us are mad we had to wear a mask, but many of us need to be wearing a muzzle. Amen. You say, no, seriously, I'm just never going to speak again. That still doesn't fix it. Because long before the words come out of your mouth, they're originated in our hearts. Excuse me, what, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's what the psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. I uh, have an announcement to make tonight. You are not aware of this, but this past week we have planted a recording device on your person. And for this past week, we've been recording every conversation that you've had. At home, in the car, as you've gone to work. And tonight, I'm going to set it here on the pulpit, and I'm going to press play and we're going to listen to everything that you have been talking about this past week. Yes. Well, I wonder tonight what we would hear you talk about. I wonder tonight who we'd hear you talk about. Now go ahead and take a deep breath. That's just an illustration tonight. Amen? But can I, listen, no one's been recording you. No one's, but listen to me. If no one else heard a word you said, he heard every conversation. You say, well, preacher, 
I mean, your tongue needs Jesus. That, that's a cute little sermon title you got there. I'm sure that'll look real good on the website tonight when it gets posted. No, listen to me. It's more than just a cute little sermon title. It's the point of James chapter 3. Do you realize when you come to James chapter 3, James presents to us problem after problem after problem with the tongue, but not one time does he give us a solution. Because James wants us to be left reeling and staggering at the overwhelming magnitude of the problem inside of our mouths so that you and I know that the only hope that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And aren't you thankful that Jesus is in the heart-changing business and the life-changing business and Jesus specializes in changing people from the inside out and making him more, us more and more like him? He can do that, can't he? We've experienced in other areas of our life and we can experience when it comes to the way that we use our tongues. Can we just bring it on home tonight? Some of you, the fact of the matter is your marriage is toxic. Your home is toxic, your friendships are toxic, your conversations are toxic, your text messages are toxic. And every time you get around with friends and family, it's just negative, it's corrupt, it's sinful, it's demeaning. Listen to me, I'm all for cutting up and being sarcastic and having a good time. Amen, I, I like to cut up, I love all that. But, but there comes a time when you cross the line and it's no longer funny, it's hurtful. That's wrong. And for some of you in your marriages, your tongue is out of control. For some of you in your homes, your tongue is out of control. And at one time in your marriage, in your home, there used to be a spirit of peace in your home. There's no peace there anymore. Now it's like everybody's walking on eggshells around each other, and there's tension there, and the kids don't want to be there. Half the time, you don't want to be there. It's the way parents speak to kids. It's the way kids speak to adults. It's the way that husbands speak to wives. It's the way wives speak to their husbands. And boy, as a result, our homes and our friendships and our relationships are not what God wants them to be. And a lot of it goes back to the way that we talk to and about one another. Your tongue needs Jesus. Father, we love you tonight. And Father, my prayer is tonight that we would feel the weight of your word. Father, we need revival. And Father, many of us tonight need to make our way down to this altar and say, Lord, I have a problem. The way that I talk and the things that come out of my mouth, they're not pleasing to you. They're not honoring to you. Not only is it sin against you, but it's hurtful to those around me. Let me just say this tonight. Sometimes in a revival meeting, getting right with the Lord means walking down an aisle. Other times in a revival meeting, getting right with the Lord means walking across the aisle. And I just imagine in a church like this, maybe there's someone who needs to walk across the aisle or walk across the auditorium tonight. And you need to humble yourself and you need to, you need to say to someone in this room tonight, I'm sorry. I've said things to you. I've said things about you. And it wounded you, and it hurt you, 
and I am sorry. Tonight, I ask the Lord to forgive me, and tonight, I'm asking you to forgive me. And with God's help, I never want to say that to you or about you again. I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Is there someone you need to say that to tonight? Is there someone in this church who you need to have that conversation with tonight? See, in order to have revival, we have to have the hard conversations. We have to say the difficult things. We have to humble ourselves. How many tonight would say, Preacher, would you pray for me? And I'm just going to keep it general. I'm not going to get in your business. This is between you and the Lord. How many tonight would say, Brother Taylor, pray for me? My tongue needs Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? Yes, yes, yes. That's what this week is all about. Perhaps you're here tonight, and can I say the same tongue that you sinned against with Jesus with is the same tongue that you can call upon him tonight and ask him to save you. If you're here tonight without the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, Preacher, if I were to die tonight, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I admit that I'm a sinner, but I've never put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. I got good news. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Tonight, if you would open up your heart like the front door of your house and call upon Jesus and ask Him into your heart and life and ask Him to forgive you of your sin and put your trust in Him alone, you can be saved from your sin because of what He did for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. He bled for you. He died for every sin you've ever committed, every sinful word you've ever spoken. Jesus Christ bore God's wrath for on the cross of Calvary. He paid your sin debt. He was buried for you and he rose again for you. And tonight he will save you if you call on him. You say, preacher, I've never made that decision. I know that I'm a sinner, but I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? I'm not sure where I'll spend eternity one day. If that's you, would you lift up your hand high enough that I can see it and put it right back down. Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. Anyone like that at all? Father, would you bless our invitation tonight? Lord, I believe that you're working in this place. Lord, you've dealt with us. Now it's time to make some decisions and to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet tonight as the pen plays.